Um, right, please try and find a Bible and get Psalm 20 in front of you because um, I'm going to ask questions. Um, and I want to see this, I want you to see this one for yourself because this is a belter. This is one of the richest Psalms about Jesus in the whole Bible. And there's so much, I run the risk tonight of sort of just imploding and not really saying anything coherent. Um, so in the mornings, we're looking at our great high priest and the church is the bride of Jesus and that divine marriage between church and the living God will last forever. And everything outside that just dies because Jesus is life, right? And tonight in the Psalm series, we get to look a bit more closely at this priest and what he's like. And, oh man, do you see some stuff in Psalm 20. So it's written by David, but he was filled with the Spirit, and he was thinking about another person, another king. All right, test us in a bit. Who is this king? I'll start with an opening question. What's the greatest thing you've ever achieved? Have a think about that. Yeah. Last week I asked you, what are you handing on to your loved ones when you die, didn't I? An uplifting question. Um, but what's the greatest thing you've ever achieved? All right, next question. How many people were affected by it? Like, how do you measure what your achievement was? If it's by how many people were affected for the good of it, is it that great? Someone's like, oh, I had a high score on Super Mario or something. All right, that doesn't affect too many people, does it? What's your greatest achievement? Bear that in mind now as I ask another question. If you see someone suffering coming towards the end of their life, what would you pray with them or for them? And is the thing that you've achieved, your greatest thing, going to help them when they need it as they're facing the end of their life? All right. Um, I put to you that in this psalm, we're going to see Jesus' greatest achievement and how it helps people when they need it the most. So that's sort of a line of thought tonight. Um, look at the joy in Psalm 20 that people get. Just look at Psalm 24 and 5. We'll get to it. Uh, may he give you the desire of your heart. We'll get to that in a bit. May all your plans succeed. We will shout for joy when you are victorious and we'll lift up our banners in the name of our God. May the Lord grant all of your requests. Look at the joy. Think back to your greatest achievement. Does it cause joy for others? Bear that in mind. Basically, I put to you this. All of the church around the world today are called to be part of what Jesus went through. Called to be sort of in it with him and share in whatever victories he gets from his greatest achievement. Church, we're going to see in this psalm, gets to be part of that. 
You remember that old hymn, Were You There When They Crucified My Lord? Do you remember that one? Have you heard of that? Good question, isn't it? Were you there when Jesus went through something? You're like, well, I'm not that old. All right, but you know what they mean, though, don't you, by that question? Were you there? Can you say it's as if he was doing it for you and you were there with him? Church gets to say yes. All right, okay, Psalm 20. Let me just prove all that to you and hopefully thrill you about this divine priest, Jesus. Question number whatever we're on now, three, I think. Verses one to three. Who is the you in this psalm? Who is the you? May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from the heavenly Zion. That's heaven. May he remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. And some of you will have a Bible there which says Selah, which means pause. Pause and reflect. All right. Park End, the interactive evening gang. Who is the you in that? Is David talking to me, Owen Batstone? Or is he talking to you? May the Lord answer you when you are in distress. Hey, maybe. Is he? Is that what it is? Or is something going out? Else going on? Okay, wait. Because I think the you is also linked to verse 5. We will shout for joy when you are victorious and will lift up our banners in the name of our God. May the Lord grant all your requests. Okay, so I'll be honest. My greatest achievement in life <laughs> is uh, probably I got my snowboard license in 1998. I, got, I trained to be a snowboarder in Fairwater Dry Slope, and I'm a professional snowboarder. Did you know that? <laughs> That's probably my greatest achievement. All right, okay, so if... If this is about me, uh, may the Lord grant you the desires of your heart, Owen, and we'll all shout for joy when you are victorious in your greatest achievement as a professional snowboarder. Um, I'm not sure because verse 5, the person it's talking about has sort of got international fame and all of the church is shouting for joy when this person does something. Um, my snowboard achievement probably doesn't matter that much when I meet a dying friend who really needs joy in their darkest moments. Me going up to them, let me tell you about Psalm 20. It's all about me and what I've done, and it's going to cause you great joy. It's like, all right, I'm not sure, Owen, this is helping me that much. What about, on a serious note, the persecuted Christians across the world tonight who are being literally massacred because they believe in Jesus, what joy can they possibly have if me or you are the central figure causing joy across church? Well, the you of this psalm is in verse 9. O Lord, save the king. Answer us when we call. So that this person featuring is a king, so that's me out again. Or is it about David? All right, wait. 
because in verse 6, here's the clincher. Now that I know that the Lord saves his anointed, or a better translation is, the Father Lord is saving his Messiah. That's another word for anointed. Who's the you in this psalm? He's a king. He causes worldwide joy. The Father rescues him, and he's the Father's Messiah, promised Messiah, filled with the Holy Spirit more than any other human ever. What we have here in Psalm 20 is the insight of the life of our divine high priest, Jesus. It's history written in advance, so it's a prophecy about what he's going to go through one day, which will cause Park End Church mass joy on whatever day it is today, February 2020. This is the ancient church praying for the Messiah in his battle for us against the world, evil, the flesh, temptations, the devil, and the Father answers the prayers that the church are praying for Jesus. All of that is in this Psalms. Because guess what? Jesus was raised from the dead, and he was victorious over evil, sin, death, and decay. So I have held the hand of dying people who are trusting in Jesus, and I'm like, we can shout for joy, because your next moments are going to be your best, because our divine priest went through this for his church, and we were there, like the ancient church was there, and we shout for joy. It's like we were there. The church isn't bystanders of the great high priest. He brings us with, it, with him and through it with him. Whatever he goes through, his victory is our victory. And this is one of my favorite psalms tonight. True hope is in what this anointed one goes through. Now, um, a few months ago, I went to Margam Park um, with the boys and the dog, and there was um, a Civil War reenactment, you know, those things where people dress up and fight each other. Um, and I was watching it, and what I suddenly had a thought. If, I, if we could have a, like a time machine and go back to that war and get chatting to Christians from that time, what would we have in common? Um, I would look at them, and I would say, well, we haven't got much dress sense in common, have we, from the Civil War? Um, I would look at them and go, your eating habits could probably improve. No, actually, they'd look at us and go, your eating habits need to improve. You need to get back to the earth, um, like plants and stuff, and instead of all that sugar. Or we might smell each other and be like, hmm, right, we haven't got that in common. You're, you could do with a bath. Uh, maybe that. And they would look at us and they would think we are all under a spell. If they could fast forward and see humans now, 
who walk around literally glued to something in their hands. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it freak them out? They'd think, what has happened to us in the future? We don't have anything in common. They don't talk to each other at mealtimes or anything. Whatever it is in their hand, they've gone nuts. They're under a spell, imprisoned by this thing. And we'd have that conversation, well, I would in my head with them. But if I met a Christian, we wouldn't have that much in common, except because in this psalm, the person causes international worldwide victory for his church and back then back here and then during the civil war and now church lifts up a banner shouting for joy what would we have in common to my um, civil war buddy we would have the victory of Jesus together wouldn't we it literally binds us all together the Lord Jesus Christ and then you would see their eyes warm and we were like, now let's talk. Now let's talk about our divine Jesus and what he's done. That his victory is our victory over sin, death, and the world. And I love reading Psalm 20 right back thousands of years ago. They're doing it then. They did it during the Civil War enactment, the, or the actual Civil War. And they do it now. It's incredible. Universal victory of Jesus, our high priest. All right, now I got a spicy question because the church here is praying for their divine anointed Messiah. They're praying for him. Here's a question, and this might affect the Tuesday prayer meeting. Does Jesus still need our prayers? I don't know if you pray, but if you do, do you ever pray for Jesus? You ever done that? Should we do that? Because they're doing it here. They shout at the end, Lord, save your king. You, we need you to save him for us. All right. Answer us when we call. On Tuesday, should the leading elder gather us all together and say, tonight, we're going to pray for Jesus? Huh? Elders are like, oh, should I be? That's a tricky one. Let me add another one, another question. There's just layers here about the Lord. Um, okay, what about this? Psalm, you don't need to look this one up. Um, Psalm 72 is also about a king that flourishes and all that. Listen to this one. Long may he live. May gold from Sheba be given to him. May people ever pray for him and bless him all day long. We bless Jesus in church together, the king. Should we be ever praying for him? Should we? Ever thought about that? All right, let me throw a spanner into the woodworks again. You don't come in for an easy ride on Sunday night, do you? Let's go deeper. Can Jesus be dethroned from being the king tonight? All right, the answer to that is no. That's an easy one. So, what does it mean to pray for him? Does he lack anything? We're looking at how divine and, but also how real and human Jesus is. Does he need the church's prayers tonight? When you go home to bed tonight, do you need to pray for Jesus? Okay, I think I've got the answer. 
And I, then I'm going to try and say why it's important that we've gone through all this. Isaiah chapter 53 is all about Jesus and his suffering. He was um, bruised for our sufferings. You know that one. Classic. And he says, and it says this, He, this coming king, shall see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. He will see the fruit of his suffering for his church and then he will be satisfied. And then he will be satisfied. So this king, he's going to go through something tough. And one day he's going to see the fruit of it all and then be satisfied. All right. I put to you tonight that we have such a living, real human king savior that he doesn't quite yet fully see all of the fruit of his suffering. You're like, oh, and this is like a theology class. Now wait, bear with me because it's rich and deep and it's all in this psalm. Jesus tonight looks down on planet earth and thinks this, there are more people to be gathered in this part of Cardiff. I have died and risen again to defeat sin and evil and power. And there are people in Park End tonight who have loved ones who have yet to fall in love with me and know me. So I'm holding back my full joy. I'm still wanting to see fruit for my labor. And Satan still yet to be finally banished to the evil place forever. Sin finally to be ended. Decay finally to be cast out where one day the church will be together and we don't have bad backs or we don't get cellulitis or dementia. All of that, Jesus is still waiting for that. He started it and in a massive way he's defeated it. But isn't it true that he's still got work to do and he's using us. So this psalm and Isaiah 53 and Psalm 72 where the church is praying for Jesus, I think we should still be doing that tonight and be an active part of his kingdom coming to planet earth. Um, here's a belter of what Jesus would go through for us in his suffering. Now let me read Reread verse 1 now that we know it's about the Lord. May the Lord Father answer you when you are in distress. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. Now this is an insight of what Jesus is going through for his church on that day of crucifixion. May God protect you, the anointed king. Listen to this one. This is the prayer life of Jesus. Hebrews 5 verse 7, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Hebrews literally says, Jesus was crying out to be protected. It's exactly the same as Psalm 20 verse 1. You're going to go through death for your church and you're going to be worried about it because though you are God, you are fully human. Like, do not think Jesus was somewhat disconnected and aloof 
in his suffering for you. He really went through it. Such is his love for you. Hebrew says he would cry out to the Father just so he could save us. All right. What about this one then? Just to also show the prayer life of Jesus and how much he needed the prayers of the church. It's a thought process we don't think about enough. This is, my, this is Luke 22. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Now listen. And an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly as sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Bear that in mind as I now reread Psalm 20, verse 3. May he, the Lord, remember all your sacrifices and accept your burnt offerings. Pause. That's a window into the anguish of Jesus before he went to the cross for his bride, the church. Psalm 20 is the church saying, May the Father remember all of your sacrifices for us. And then you've got Jesus literally sweating drops of blood. He's so nervous about this event. He needs prayer because he's human. And he went through it for us. And that's why in Psalm 20, the church is saying, oh, answer us, because we need him to go through this for us. Otherwise, there's no victory over death and sin. This is powerful stuff, isn't it? This is deeply moving theology. That's why the church there is told to pause. And they would have been having music when this was chanted in the ancient church, Music playing in the background as the church focuses and prays for their Messiah who's going to come and defeat death for them. And it's just like, that is so big. Pause. Pause and reflect on the Son of God dying for his church. All right. And all I'm going to do is rapid fire, sum up, the rest of the psalm because I do want us to go home tonight and reflect on what he went for us that we literally don't need to fear death hell and the devil anymore because his victory is our victory and on the third day he rose again reflect on that this week all right my final question really is this what did he achieve um Here's another one linked to that. What are the desires of your heart? Um, if you were granted the desires of your heart, what would it be? Now, I wrote a list. PlayStation 5, a Big Mac. Um, well, I'm getting on a bit now, 34. Reverse the clock a bit. Go back to my 20s. And if we're honest... If we're honest, if the Lord granted the desires of our heart, mm, Ferrari, boat, less annoying children, something like that, wouldn't it? 
Thankfully, this psalm is a prayer that the anointed one has the desires of his heart met. Thank you. And in this, you see someone who's determined to become a redeemer. Um, listen to this one in, G in Luke 12. Here's when Jesus did finally get born. He says, I have a baptism I have to undergo, a baptism of fire, and I am constrained until it is completed. Father, I want to do your will and win my bride. That's the, de the desires of Jesus' heart. Park End. Our hope and victory tonight is not us, it's Jesus. Because in him, we have someone who does care, really care about that we get worried about sin or life after death or addictions. And he has had the desires of his heart granted. And he's literally there calling you tonight to talk to him about it. Cast all of your fears upon him. Psalm 107 verse 2 says this, let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. So all week we're to tell people our story. Let me tell you about one who's better than us. Let me tell you about one who's not seedy or a liar or evil. Jensen Batstone, right, he has got so many of my traits for better and worse. But one of them is quite a cute one. He lies on the floor sideways with his arm out and he would play with a tractor going back and forward. It's a strange sort of, he'd be length, I would do it, but it's a bit weird, isn't it? Um, lengthways on the, on the floor, he's always at it and he's just going back and forth with tractors or Lego. And my sisters would say, Owen, that is exactly the posture that you used to take. And it's quite cute, it's like family traits. Okay, well, if the redeemed are to tell their story, what is the traits of a church who are in the family of Jesus? Really, if you grasp Psalm 20, we will shout for joy when you are victorious. We will raise our banners. Your requests have been granted, and now we have peace, perfect peace this week. When sorrows like sea billows roll, we trust our anointed king is at his prayers answered for us, and he lives and is in control. That is a burst of joy in verse 5 that no other thing can match. Yes! Safe in the arms of Jesus. So I close now by reminding us, our message is not ethics, um, politics, morals. It's Jesus and his victory for us over sin and death. And when you fall in love with Jesus, you will want to behave the way he wants you to. But the Christian message, first and foremost, is if you are a sinner tonight, he is there to forgive. And he will welcome you into the family of the Lord. And this maybe could be our verse of the whole year, verse 7. Some people trust in chariots and some in horses. You can almost see it, can't you? And then he's thinking, those losers. But we trust in the name of the Lord. We don't go around with swords. We don't need an army for the church. 
pride isn't the way to win people and boastful arrogance and winning arguments. We lift Jesus high. They are brought to their knees and will fall. But we rise up tonight as Park End Church because we serve a living Savior. Park End, I'm really sorry for getting a bit technical at times there, but go home, relish Psalm 20, that he is the focal point of your life, and he is the determining factor on where you stand with God tonight. It's not how well you've been behaved today. It's he's Lord, and he has won the battle for us. For his name's sake, amen.